Hello, I am so excited to be able to connect with you all today. This is Dr. Lacey C. Robbins of Robbins Nest Consulting, and we are hosting what we call Curated Culture Chats. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, a curated culture chat, why is that important? Why is this something we need to be doing? Why is this even valuable? Well, I'm going to tell you, when you start as a leader to cultivate authentic and trustworthy and compelling narratives, It actually allows your internal success to become an external success. And we've been through a lot here in these United States. We've made it through a pandemic. Well, made it-ish. We have seen civil unrest. We've seen individuals who literally have been killed before us, caught on film. And despite all of this discomfort, DEI conversations aren't being quite had enough. And so we're continuing in having those conversations. We're continuing to address our ideas and recognize our biases and really being able to identify our blind spots. And so I'm really excited today to be able to welcome Jess Sunier, who is the owner and founder of FitPower MKE. She is here today to kick us off with having these curated culture chats. This is actually a series that she is our guest at the table. And on today, we're talking about why does representation matter? Now, you can read Jess's full bio in the show notes there. But Jess, why don't you start us off? Tell us a little bit about yourself. And we want to hear from you, the guest that you wanted to bring today as we continue these chats. Thank you for having me, Dr. Lacey and Elsie. It's kind of really cool to be in here. Okay, so a little bit about me. FitPower LLC, you can find it at fitpowermke.com. We're in our 10th year here in Milwaukee, and it just started with an idea of honestly not having representation in the fitness and gym world. And this is before I got involved in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and everything. So I was weight training. I'm also a power lifter. So there's a lot of avenues we can go into with the gym culture and everything. But what I didn't see represented was larger bodied athletes. I didn't even know that they existed when I was a kid. And I didn't know that weight training was a thing when I was a kid, like good weight training, not just the football coach saying, go pick this up in the, in the weight room. <laughs> and with that, Fit Power kind of evolved. We're LGBTQIA and BIPOC affirming. And we are casting our net a little bit wider to make sure that everybody has a space. And I knew that in order for Fit power to expand and to get the word out in the fitness world and the gym world, I had to bring on a friend. And that friend is who I have with us today. Her name is Tori O'Neill. She's fantastic. We actually met online first. She runs a couple of businesses as well. And then we met at a jujitsu camp called Role Models Grappling Camp in Indianapolis. And we ended up sitting next to each other, just kind of looking at each other like, <laughs> should we say hi? Should we like, like all these things are just sitting in the back, just like, okay, who's going to make the first move? It was weird. It was like a first date <laughs> or a blind date. Sorry. So then we just started talking and we had all these similarities and 
what we realized the biggest one was representation in our sports and representation in the gym world. And then 2020 hit. And then everybody showed there for the sake of this podcast, their butts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, okay, we need to start to have a talk. And that's where we started to really collaborate. And we've done a couple talks so far. We've done a couple masterminds so far. But yeah, and now we're branching out into big, bigger things. Awesome. So you're here in Milwaukee. Tori, welcome to the table. We're really excited to have you be a part of these curated culture chats as well. And Tori, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you located exactly? Hey, well, I am located in the wonderful small town of Leesburg, Florida. It's okay if you've never heard of it. It's like 40 minutes north of Orlando. But yeah, I'm a Florida girl, born and bred. And similar to Jess, I was in my town, like being in the South, we were, we're in an area that's pretty well mixed, but the interests that I had throughout my life, I started to notice I was the only person who looked like me in those interests. I was a band nerd, played tuba for like 15 years. I was into various types of music. And then after I got out of college, I got into jujitsu and I realized very quickly it was just me as far as from being like a woman, from being a woman of color, from being a black woman from being a lesbian and from being someone just of my size. I was very singular experience, even in the most warming, I have a great team, but it, you can still see that you're othered in a group of great people. So that's what started me to create the Mighty Dames, which is a group for larger women within the sport of jujitsu. And I tell people all the time, I've tried to quit it multiple times and no one will let me. <laughs> It's taken on a lot of its own, but it's really just a place for women who had that similar feeling to me, who felt like it was just them and their gym. And they were seeking that allyship, that they were seeking that community. So I couldn't find one. So I had to make it. Nice. I find that interesting because I think sometimes we maybe have even been, dare I say, brainwashed, right? Or we've been cultured to think we have to wait for opportunity to be extended to us instead of creating our own opportunities. And both of you have definitely made the decision to create your own paths, your own opportunities. So here in Milwaukee, a jujitsu gym, a bell bar gym, and you're a woman. Tell me a little bit about those walls you had to knock down to even start. I mean, 10 years is a long time to be in business. Yeah. So there were a few paths that I followed that were, they were expected of you, right? So at the age of 36, I went to undergrad, got a degree in exercise science. Then I got my master's degree in exercise phys. And I'm like, okay, this is the route I'm going to go. And then I graduated in 2008 and that's when the recession hit. And I ended up having to leave my, at the time, big accomplishments off of a piece of paper just to get hired. I was like, okay, so nobody wants to hire me because they think they're going to have to pay me too much. And I was just looking, I was just like, just give me a job, anything. And I know a lot of people graduating right now are kind of feeling that same pressure. So what do you do? And at the time I was like, well, what do I do? And then I remember I called my dad and I told him, I was like, so I don't like how things are being done. I'm going to do it myself. And he was like, well, we don't have the funds to support you. We don't like, I'm like, that's okay. I'm not asking for anything. I'm just going to go out and do it. And as a woman, as a cis woman, part of the LGBTQ community, it was, I'm not going to say it wasn't challenging, but I was never scared. I was insecure. 
I was insecure in a lot of areas because a lot of the people telling me what to do were men and they were white men. And it was kind of like, they're like, you have to do it this way and you have to do it this way. I'm like, yeah, but it's been done that way. And that's not working. Like, it doesn't work for me. So if it doesn't work for me, then I know there are other people this doesn't work for. And we met about the time where, so, oh, 2009, 2010. We've known each other a long time. (laughs) Yeah. And we just started talking in the Black Girls Running Group. And yeah, like when it just clicked that I had to do something different is when things took off at an easygoing pace. I'm not going to say a fast pace because that didn't happen till like 2020. That's when things took off. Oh, wow. Because as you told me to do, just start being unbothered. So I was like, oh, well, once that happened, things just blew up and (laughs) me and Tori started talking. We're like, we don't care anymore. We're doing this. But up until that point, it was... Online, on social media. I'm not good at curating a good social media profile. (laughs) That was something I worked on. I have a big mouth and I still do and it's okay. I'm cool with it now. I just do it in a way that maybe I'm being heard a little bit more as opposed to just yelling at a wall. And a lot of things that go on where I stopped wasting my time giving, like when people would ask for advice, unless they asked for it specifically from me saying, Jess, I am wondering why this is happening. I don't give any advice anymore because I would. I'd be like, hey, this is what I experienced as this and this and this. And usually it was men asking a question. I would be dismissed in the jujitsu community and in the barbell community, just complete, like completely dismissed. But then <laughs> some guy would give the exact same advice, maybe a few under me. And I'm just like, yeah, I just said that. I just said that. So I was just like, you know what? I'm done. And then I started to pay attention to the people who were actually asking me, actually watching me. If it was five, I didn't care. If it was only those five, I started to pay all my attention to them. That's when we started being heard because we found the courage as a group because we realized we were the same people. We were the ones who were not being represented. We decided to speak up as a group. And then we found our voice and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And we're here where we are now, where we're making waves. Yeah. So first off, I have chill bumps. Let's start there. Okay. (laughs) Second of all, I just want to tease out a couple of the things that you said. One of the main things that you mentioned is that you started nurturing your community. You started nurturing community. And so many times, because we are, we've been conditioned, we've been programmed, especially as women, to wait for opportunity to come to us. And what you described in, you know, I'm sharing my idea, nobody's listening, but then John over here mentions it. And I purposely say John because it's like he's pimping your idea. Okay. Nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> let's just be real, right? He's yes. pimping your idea. Yes. And so what you're experiencing is second generation bias. Plain point, end of story. And a lot of times we don't even recognize it because we've been conditioned to this is just how it is. This is just how it is. And the fact that you started recognizing like, okay, no, this is not what I want it to be for my story. Let me start to create and nurture my own community, right? So one big question that I have for you, because it's really evident to me that you realize there are four people I need in my life and an ally is one of them. And I see Tori became that for you. But the first question I have is, how did you start to even overcome some of those insecurities? Because there's somebody who's going to listen to this who's going to watch this, who's going to think to themselves, I too am a Jess, I too am a Tory, right? So what were some things you did to overcome those insecurities? So 
there were two things I did off the bat. The first one was when the gym expanded, when it went from, like I went from a basement gym to I transformed my garage into a gym, insulated, beautiful heating system. Now it's, we use it, it's ours. Then it was too cold. So I had to move everyone into my house basement. But these people followed. I got to give so much credit to them (laughs) all the time. And then we moved back in the garage and now we're in a 3,000 square foot space. So we expanded at about year seven to a bigger space. So I was like, I don't know how to work a big space. Fit Power has always been Jess and they needed to come apart. Fit Power was becoming bigger than anything I could ever be. And the direction I wanted it to go, the first thing I needed was a coach who's been in the industry. So I worked with AJ Klingerman first. So I got a mentor, which is one of the four that I know. AJ was my first one, AJ Klingerman from Indiana Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy. She also runs the role model grappling camp. Okay, so shout out to AJ. Shout out to AJ, big time. (laughs) And she kind of set the stage for me, like this is what a jiu-jitsu business looks like. She's been in it for 21 years. So she knows the business. And then I realized, okay, my gym is going in a different direction. And the people that need this space, I don't look like them. I'm part of their groups. I'm part of the LGBTQIA group, which most people don't know because I'm married to Chris. Mm -hmm. And Chris, he's my husband and a phenomenal man. And I think that needs to be said because there's, especially in the jujitsu community right now going on, (laughs) it got rough in the last three days. It got mad. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, when we have these hard talks, you know, it's very obvious that men feel very targeted. And we get the whole not all men thing. That's not what we're saying because I don't surround myself with bad men. Mm -hmm. They exist. It's obvious. And there are bad women out there too. There are are bad people out there. Yes. But when you're zoning in on something, it becomes like, and it's bad because when you're not on the top of the food chain, there's a lot of bad things and repercussions that can happen. And that's where having the mentorship and the allyship and all that stuff really comes into play. So when I realized that I needed to, that Fit Power could not just be represented by me anymore, that is when I got to work with you, Dr. Lacey. I realized that I needed friends like Tori. I needed, and not just for me to grow, like, because it wasn't about me anymore. It was like, okay, if these things need to happen, then people need to see themselves in these groups. It needed to spread out like that. And the first thing you taught me was... It's not language I use, so it still feels very awkward (laughs) for me to say it, but you were just like, you need to be an unbothered queen. And I was just like, I don't even know what that means, but I'm going to learn. I know Rihanna says it. (laughs) And she's a billionaire, so there's that. (laughs) Exactly. So I was like, okay, I need to be unbothered. And I have an entire notebook filled with the mentorship from you, taking it to that next step. And then it also required me to not be the voice. It required me to have a platform and to allow other people to speak. And that's a big deal. And that's a big direction that Fit Power is starting to move into. That's wonderful. So really basically being almost a pass-through of information. So now let's bring Tori back into this conversation because I think it's really special that not only were you able to meet someone, but then see how you could partner together. So Tori, Tell us more about your journey and how you've overcome perhaps insecurities or biases and just to be your 
your own unbothered queen. I don't know if you bought your <laughs> crown for today or not. <laughs> hey, my nickname's the Dame, so I'm already in that royalty there you go. right now. There so, you go. <laughs> yeah, I'll say similar to, I want to say, unfortunately, a lot of women. I grew up extremely insecure. I had a very low sense of self-worth, self-value. And a lot of that was centered around my height and my size. I'm 6'1". I've been tall my entire life. When you start developing, you get a little chunky in the stomach, your thighs get a little bit bigger. So I was always someone that people felt like it was appropriate to comment on my body, whether it was for good or bad, you know, like, oh my God, you're so tall. Like, oh, okay. Like, oh, you've lost so much weight. I was like, okay. So as I was going through these different developments, it became very aware that people were hyper aware of my body. And I just, I still struggle with that. I was not comfortable with that. So for years, and I live in Florida, it's Mm. hot here, Mm y'all. I didn't wear shorts until my 20s. Wow. I'm 31 now. I did not wear shorts until right around the time I started the games. I mean, and I was in band, I was in marching band. So we're talking like sweatpants outside in the Florida heat because I just did not feel comfortable showing my thighs. Mm-hmm. Do you think some of that may be with that hyper awareness, hypersexualization of the black woman's body? You know, thinking about the hot and tot and all of that. Absolutely. Because one of the things we're taught very early on is to not be that fast girl. Mm. And I will never blame my mother or like my grandmother for stuff. But, you know, especially in black women, there is this sense of being a good girl and not being hypersexual that is instilled in you very, very early. Even if, you know, people have had children very early, they're going to hammer into your mind like, well, don't be like them. Keep your legs closed. That's things that are hammered into us. So my whole demeanor was always to be the good kid in my family. I got the good grades like I was supposed to. I listened to my parents. I was never out late. I never snuck out, never got attention. I went to college. I went to grad school, (laughs) went to grad school again. I did everything by the book, by the T. And it still didn't work out how I thought because last year when the pandemic did hit, I got furloughed for 16 months. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) And I just got to the point where I gave my notice that I officially quit. But it was really hard because I came from a point where, dang, I did every single thing right. I did everything I was supposed to. And I was still stuck in a situation like everyone else. So it took me a while to get to a point where I was, I felt comfortable just being Tory and realizing that the Tory that I had been for most of my life was a role that I was playing. And I developed it when I saw what was missing within my family or within people around me. I tried to fill that void. And by doing that, I was really selling myself short for decades, really. So I want to say maybe like four or five years ago, I had this epiphany like, I don't have to do this. I don't have to struggle like this. And that's when I moved into my own house for the first time. I was, there was nothing school related I had to do. And I was just, I want to say like I got my keys like December 31st and like the first I spent New Year's painting my walls and I was just painting my walls thinking like this is mine like no one else is associated with this and it is going to be whatever I make of it now it took even longer for me to really truly get into like understanding how deep some of those past roles that I took on how deeply embedded it was into everything that I did and I want to say in the last year or so I've really become like 
the best version of myself. And a lot of that was, I don't want to say I stopped caring, but I stopped caring about stuff that didn't build me up. Yeah. I like to think of it that you became a rule breaker. And being a rule breaker is a concept that we use in the Robin's Nest, which essentially says that I can create my own paths. I can create my own platforms. I don't have to wait for permission. I don't have to wait for somebody to tell me or to even validate me that this is okay to do. I don't have to wait for a sign to come and show me that this is the way that you should be moving. And so I'm really curious, maybe for both of you, can you articulate perhaps a moment in time in which it was like, and I'm done with that, you know, and (laughs) I'm about to create my own path. Like, this is it. Do you recall like that instant? I recall two. Okay. Like two very, very clear slap in the face. Oh, wow. So, and Tori knows about both because we've had these talks together. And a big one is we'll leave the pandemic to the side because that was number two and that's Mm. still going on. (laughs) Number one was diet culture. As a woman, as a larger body woman, always. And I just want to say this, I've always been a larger body woman. I cannot even think back into high school. I was 160 pounds in the fourth grade. I don't recall a time ever being considered small. And there, there was a lot of shame with that in high school. There's a lot of generational shame that comes with that with my mother and my grandmother just comments, little microaggressions that would just always be there. And you know, if my parents do listen to this, I tell them all the time, I don't blame you. You were doing the best you could with what you were taught. And I have very good parents. They're amazing. But these are the things that get passed down. And there was a point in time where people didn't even know. And when I told my friends this, they were like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that that was causing you harm. Where I was like, okay, I'm going to get small to bracket kind of sport. And just for anyone listening, like this is a trigger warning. Like I am going to be talking about dieting and food and bodies and stuff like that. So you need to skip ahead, go for it. So if we're going to talk about weight, I got down to 200 pounds even. And I remember still feeling so ashamed of my body. And I look back at pictures, like, I can't believe I was, I was ashamed at that. Look at like, I look amazing then. And I look at my body now and I'm like, look, look at what it's doing. I am so proud of this body now, but what I'm undoing right now and what people may not understand, especially in an industry where you represent your business. So I know people look at me and they're like, I don't want to look like that, but that's okay. That is hundred percent. Okay. You probably wouldn't do well at the gym because you're focused on other things, which is okay. That's where you are. But to undo 30 years of diet culture, I am in year two and a half or three. It is taking time to even understand what my cues are with hunger and with food and how I feel about food, what my cues are and my triggers are when I see my body in a certain way. Am I still trying to buy clothes that are too small just so that I can kind of like feel good in certain things? Or am I buying clothes that really make me feel good and make me look good? Am I I trying to fit in or am I trying to put my best foot forward? forward, I guess you could say for where I am right now, because my body has done amazing things. I can choke people and rip arms (laughs) off. I've competed at very high levels. Like, (laughs) let's just make that very clear. I'm a cellist. I was a collegiate softball player. I'm a power lifter. Like I'm all these things. So why should I be ashamed of anything that I am? That was number one. Okay. The second one was the pandemic and having to be a gym owner. Mm. 
let's just say the MMA world is (laughs) (laughs) deep breath and sigh from Tori. Yeah, it is deep in conspiracy theory and it is a rough world out there. And a lot of cover up, a lot of misinformation, misinformation. Thank you, Tori, of just things going on in the world. So when I put these very strict COVID guidelines up, I was deeply unpopular. I am deeply unpopular now. And I spoke up about it. And I was like, you know what? We're going a year and a half, zero cases from her within the gym. Yeah, that's something to brag about. I'm going to brag about that because no other gym can say that. And I am deeply unpopular right now because we're hosting a seminar. And I was like, you know what? You're going to have to show proof of your vaccination. I'm not saying that you're a bad person if you didn't get your vaccine. What I'm saying is if you want to be any kind of part of this, this is what we require and we're not apologetic about it. Well, really, you are establishing boundaries and you also are setting an example for others to say, here's our line in the sand. And as the gym owner, I'm taking responsibility for the people who are going to come and share this space. And to me, I think you're also showing empathy because you're essentially saying, I don't want others to become sick, so I'm going to do everything I can to ensure that doesn't happen. So the weight tracking, basically, and body shaming, and then the pandemic were your two potential triggers that caused this. And I want to come back to that body shaming for sure. But I do want before then to give Tori a chance to share, like, what was your pivot point for you? Cool, buddy. Like, just I had a couple. I want to say one of them to realize, like, I needed a community for myself probably happened a few years back when I was a blue belt, my purple belt now but I wanted to compete. That was my thing. I am a competitor at heart. I'm not like, not the best, but like I'll put in a hard effort. And I was realizing that like, I just couldn't get a competition. I couldn't get a match to save my life. I think I went on a span of like five different, five different tournaments where I had signed up. You know, I trained and I got there and then there was no one. So just for someone who might be listening, who doesn't know how this world works, in order to basically ascend to the next belt, you have to go through a match. Is that correct? No, no, no. You don't know how big of a question you said. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on like where you're going through. So our gym is through IBJJF, which is like the International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation. A lot of gyms go through that. They're traditional. You know, you wear the gi, the, the hot coat and pants and belt. So our gym goes through that. And it's based on all you really have is a minimum of time you're supposed to be in. The rest is at your professor's discretion. So for us to go from one belt to another, there's a test involved. Or if you rate high enough in a competition that has, it's a full bracket, meaning you're not just doing one match. You have to have at least two or three matches. So for me, this is when I had just turned to my blue belt. So I wasn't even thinking about going to the next belt. I just wanted experience because through competition, you can learn things about your jujitsu that you might not get in your gym because, you know, we become accustomed to who we're training with. We know their moves. When you throw yourself in a competition setting, most times you don't know who it is. So I was just, I was seeking that. I just, I just wanted the next level of challenge, but I couldn't get anyone to save my life. And I finally got someone who agreed to do a match with me in no gi. That means no uniform. And I think at this point I was maybe three, four years into training, maybe. And I signed up for experts. I was like, okay, at least someone higher ranking will go against me. I had nobody. And then I remember they asked someone who was in a smaller weight class if I'd be willing to go up and she agreed. And we had a match. It was back and forth. I ended up winning. And I stepped off the mat to, you know, shake the hands of the other coach and go to my coach. And I immediately heard, 
oh, well, you only won. I'm talking about how I only won because I was bigger. They were telling the coach and they were telling the girls, like, man, you know, you, she's got like 50, 60 pounds on you, da, 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 da. And I've heard this before. This is nothing new. If you're a bigger girl, you'll hear this. But I'm like the top end of what my weight class is. I'm a big girl. But this is the first time that I heard the coach. He said, uh-uh, stop that. She won. Like, she won because she was better today. That's it. And he actually came up to me later, shook my hand, told me, good job. Like, hey, don't. I shut that down. They were saying that. I want you to know you did a great job. You did good. And my own coach tells me that. My teammates tell me that. But, like, getting that validation from someone else, it was something that clicked with me. I was like, you know what? I don't have to apologize for this. Like, I am putting in time. Like, everyone else is putting in time. I'm working on other people are working. I cannot help that I am 6'1", 280 pounds. Like, that's my body. And I've done dangerous things in the past to lessen that, to make myself lighter. I was like, I don't want to go back to that world. I was unhappy there. So that's about the time that I started wearing shorts again. That's about the time where I was like, you know what? You know, just like, do you, Tori, however comfortable you are. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing similar to Jess was the pandemic when all this stuff was happening. And again, this is Tori and the mentality, like, hey, I'm the good girl. I did everything right. I got the job that I was supposed to do. My work did nonprofit. I was helping my community and I furloughed. And I expected to come back Everyone thought it was going to be over fairly quickly. <laughs> it was not. So I was waiting to get the call back. I was waiting to get the call back. And then there came a point last September around Labor Day. And that was the last time I'd heard from my boss from Labor Day till June. I hadn't heard nothing from anyone. I heard stuff from like, I worked with volunteer management. So I was very close to some of the older ladies. So my one volunteer, Kitty, she texts me like, every other week we were in constant communication and I had gone through a deep depression at this time. I finally started going to therapy at this time. And one of the things that I was realizing is like, I really tied my value and my self-worth into what I could provide for others and my position as in my job. I really valued that I was helping out my community. I was helping out this great organization. And then I realized that I was not getting that value in return that I did not even get a text message. And we had a very small department. It wouldn't have been much. When I realized like I was not even warranted a, hey, how are you doing? These are tough times. Like, hey, let us know. I didn't hear from them in months. And at the same time, I was continuously developing with the Mighty Dames and the women were asking for my merchandise. And it clicked to me. It's like, hey, I don't have to stay at this place anymore when I have a viable second option if I just nurture it properly. So I was literally working an event and my girlfriend's at the house and she called me and said, Hey, um, I got this certified letter from your job saying they're trying to contact you. And I was like, what are they saying? Like, oh, they want you to come back to work, but you got to come back immediately. And I was like, give me the number on the phone. I called then I called my boss's boss and I quit on the spot. I was holding on to that like because my mind is very much you have to have a backup plan. So in my mind, like I didn't want to cut that string because insurance is tied to it. Worst case scenario, if something happens, if I have to go back, I have to go there. But I was realizing it was really holding me back from fully committing because I always had that backup plan. And once I quit, I felt great that day. I was feeling fantastic. I was like, yeah, get that job, not going back. About a week later, <laughs> when school started, which is normally a very popular time, it hit me that I'm not going back to work. And I went into a full-on spiral panic of like, oh my God, what have I done? What have I done? <laughs> <laughs> I 
And my girlfriend literally like was walking by the room and she poked her head up like, what's going on? Like, what did I do? Like, I've doomed us. And after she talked me off the ledge, I realized that it was just, I never had a point in my life where I was really free to do what Tori wanted to do. Like to truly invest in myself. I've always invested in other people, other companies, other ventures, but I never really said, I'm going to do this for me. I'm going to be selfish right now. But through this selfishness, I know a great thing can be created. Well, and I think it's important to call out that choice is the most powerful thing in the world. The most powerful thing in the world. And when you exercise self-care, that is not being selfish. That is putting those boundaries in place that you need. And I love the fact that you realize, like, I have other options. And Eric Thomas, he's a real famous motivational speaker, pastor, and he talks about no net, no net. Like, we really do not know who we are, what we're made of, until that safety net of a job, insurance, all those things is removed. And I think we have to remind ourselves, like, you can get insurance. We think, especially people early in the entrepreneurship game, they think, oh, I can't leave. I'm doing this double dutch because if I leave, I won't have insurance. And really, it's no one is educating them that you can go to the marketplace yourself. You have options. You can work with a broker. There's lots of ways that you can do it. So my question then, Tori, why does representation matter? Because some of the things that you and Jess both mentioned, I heard a pattern. I heard the body shaming. I heard that self-consciousness. I heard the connection back to insecurities because of that. And the pandemic being like the ultimate trigger probably for everyone who's listening. But why does representation matter? Why should listeners even care? To me, representation matters because when I think of representation, I see someone doing something. It's proof that it can be done. I used to think like something silly like Black girls don't play guitar or... Black girls don't play drums. Something simple like that when I was younger. Or Black girls don't swim. They don't Black run. girls don't swim. Right. Yeah, these are things that like I did not see it in my community. And when you're younger, your world's very small. It's more so with the internet, but you know, like the world's very small. It's what you see right there. So I just thought certain things were not for me. I loved metal music growing up. I was a heavy metal person, but... I didn't see anyone in my school who was listening to it. So I even had my father once tell me, like, oh, don't listen to that double music. So I thought this was something that was not for me until I saw a Black musician playing metal. I was like, oh, my God, this is allowed. I can do this. So I'd watch people and I got into blues. And I would look at these women playing these instruments and singing. And I was like, OK, so this is allowed. Like, you can really do whatever you want. But like, I felt like I needed to see someone do it to almost give myself permission in that beginning stage. And as I got further into my journey, deeper into jujitsu, deeper into the dames, deeper into my voice, I had this moment that like, it's still so weird to me that like younger girls were coming up to me and I became the representation for someone else. And that was a responsibility that I did not ask for. I did not know was there, but I became to embody that. And I take it very seriously because I feel like I went through a lot of trials and tribulations and struggle and so much heartbreak because I tried to prevent myself from doing things that were true passions. And I still this day will never know what would have happened if I started earlier. And I don't like to think like that because it led me to who I am today. But at that same time, if me simply just being who I am and being extremely loudly so that other people could hear and see and feel it, if that is giving someone else like a little bit of a, oh yeah, I can do this too. And that me being a Black woman, 
for that being a larger woman and being like unapologetic at the fact that I am a big black gay woman. That is just who Tori is. I'm not going to apologize for it. And you shouldn't apologize if you have any of these traits or any other traits as well. Just this idea of embracing yourself. Once I did it, I found that like the women in my group, the people who were looking up to me, whether I realized they were not, they began to just like let me know how much it meant to them. Even opening up about my struggles with mental health when I just went out there and put my prescriptions on my page, I was so blown away. Not just by how many people reached out to me, but like the type of people. I heard from people in high school that I haven't talked to, people in college, people I didn't even really know besides I shook their hand one time. I had so much outcry about that. And it was another trigger. It was another moment where I realized like, you know what, representation does matter because there is someone who is seeking someone to just like let them know that it's allowed, that they can do this. Absolutely. I think that's really powerful because you stepped into your power. These events that happened to you both were triggering, but it was almost like the light bulb goes off. And so, Jess, you started Fit Power. We have the Mighty Dames. And how do you go about creating spaces? Maybe someone's listening. They're thinking to themselves, I want to do this too, right? Tori has folks reaching out to her. You have people following along, reaching out to you. Where do you start? How do you create this space? We actually talked about this at the recent talk that me and Tori gave at the camp. Oh. And we were just very, very, <laughs> I mean, use the pun, very black and white about <laughs> 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 stage. It was the very first thing that you have to do that I believe that you have to do is to say things out loud. There's things going on in the sport world itself involving the LGBTQ community specifically the trans community, there's a lot of phobia everywhere online, just little phobic remarks. And then you take a marginalized group or trans population, then you have intersectionality where like being black and trans is a bottom rung of the ladder. It's what everyone uses to step up and get higher. And make sure that you stay connected because we are going to have an entire episode that's dedicated to the LGBTQ plus community, specifically calling out trans women. So I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but it is coming. (laughs) So just tether yourself to this series. So I know this is a powerful conversation that we need to be having. Yeah. So I guess at the talk, the biggest thing we said was you can't start the process unless you can say it out loud. What is missing? I can brag all day about what we have, but I do say out loud, I support trans athletes. I say out loud that I'm an LGBTQIA plus and BIPOC supportive gym. And then your actions have to reflect it next. You could talk all you want. And people did a lot of performative allyship and they still are. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's in our policies. It's written into our SOPs. It's in our language. We hang all the flags up in the gym. We have everything from the pride flag to the trans flag to the African-American pride flag. We have every flag. Our gym members are like, hey, I would like to feel represented in the gym. I know I have a flag. Can I hang it? Yes. So that way, when you walk in the door, it is very clear. Like when, when we're on tours, I tell people, I'm like, each of these flags represents at least one person in this space. So you know what kind of a space that you're walking into. We introduce ourselves with our pronouns. 
even if you don't use they, them, I still tell people, yeah, I use she, her because it normalizes things. Yeah, we make it a normal part of the conversation so that if you are new to it, you feel like you're in a space where you could have these talks and learn. Everyone deserves because we all started not knowing where we were. So if I'm an open door where I have the platform and the ability and the mental space, like my boundaries are up with some things, but if as long as I have the space in my heart and in my mind to share things with you, then I will. Because I think you deserve to learn these things because then you can make the choice whether you support it, whether you're ready to support it. You may support it, but not be ready to say it out loud. But to go forward, you have to start having these talks and you have to start saying things out loud because then they become real. Tori, did you want to add something to that? Yeah, I was thinking about our talk. I think one of the other first things we talked about is like, don't be afraid of looking dumb. We always tell people like, you almost need to do a self audit. Like where are your biases at? And being aware that like everyone has them and it doesn't necessarily make you a terrible person. It's just saying you have some things you need to unlearn. I always say that I have no issue with ignorance. I have an issue with willful ignorance. So we tell people like, it is okay to look dumb. It is okay to be ignorant on certain topics. That's fine. That's the starting point. But once you decide that you want to be knowledgeable about a certain subject, you can't be timid about it. You need to just go forth, go full-fledged, dive into it. Because if you're half-stepping, it's going to come across that way to anyone that you're trying to approach. They're going to feel that hesitancy in you. And then you're not really achieving what you set out to achieve. Nice. Very nice. I think a key question for all of our listeners today is, what are you willing to unlearn? Because we all come with biases. It doesn't matter what your background, what your culture is, what your economic background is. We all come with biases. This conversation has been really rich. And it's the first of three that we're having in this series. I want to start to wrap it up with a final thought. And this is your platform. And as a member of this table, what's a piece of advice that you would give a listener if they're ready, if they're thinking to themselves, okay, I'm ready to start to be moving more in a space of representation or supporting spaces of representation. What's a piece of advice you would give them? Do not center yourself in those groups. If you're going to learn, then it is not all about you. You need to sit and listen for a while first. And then if you're asked to have a seat at the table, then start to speak up about things because people will know when you are ready to be in these talks. But it's okay to sit back and not be the center of it right now. I think that's really powerful. I think that's really powerful. And by being there, that shows support for sure. Tori, what would you add? It's going to probably piggyback off of hers. It's just kind of humble yourself a little bit. I think we like to think of ourselves as even when it's something new, we like to think that we have this amazing ability to learn everything very quickly. We're like, I got it. Well, you don't. (laughs) It takes time to learn new things. And I think sometimes we can get so excited about this new thing we're doing, this new venture that we try to like rush into everything very quickly. And it doesn't always work like that. That's how you skip over and you miss things. So really like, Take some time, humble yourself, and dive deep into what you're trying to educate yourself on. And like Jess said, it's like you can't center yourself around that. Like me being a Black woman, I can talk a lot about those things. But as soon as we venture into something, like you said, into the trans community, even though I have many trans, it's within my family. That's still not me. 
So I had to take a back seat and listen to them more and humble myself a bit. Even if they've never been on a speaking platform, it's their lived experience that I'm trying to learn more about. And also do it on your own. Don't always depend on people from marginalized communities to do the work for you. Ooh, that part. <laughs> Google is an amazing thing. You can learn a lot from the internet. So mm-hmm. like before you go to marginalized person one, two, and three and ask them, hey, tell me about your experience. Do some research because no one has to unpack their trauma to educate someone else unless they were willing to. So put in the legwork yourself first and then ask if people want to have this conversation. Don't force them to do this for you. Perfect. I think that's a great spot to start to draw today's conversation to a close all around why does representation matter? We are literally coming to the table to continue to ignite a commitment to new ideas. When I say new ideas, what do I mean? Inclusion, diversity, equity, allyship, and strategy. It's not enough for us to just simply be a person on the side, right? We want to continue to have these conversations. We want to continue to create spaces that we can do so. And that's what these curated culture chats are all about. We are knocking down walls here on today. This is a beautiful start to a three-part series. Be sure to join us as we continue. Just again, thank you. And Tori, thank you for coming to be a part of today's conversation. I cannot wait to see what comes next as we continue in our series. Thank you, Dr. Lacey. Thanks. Thanks.